Good evening. And again, happy Mother's Day to all you awesome moms out there. I hope you had a well-deserved, relaxing, and enjoyable day. Uh, I have two specific things to thank God for today, on top of a million others, of course. But two specifics, of course, for the mom he gave me and the mother he gave my children. Very thankful for them. Uh, but to be honest, I'm also very thankful that we are up to the last Levitical offering. Yeah, have I enjoyed it? Yes. But has it been work? Yes. And I do not mind passing the torch to Pastor next week as he starts us in Leviticus 8. But I've been very thankful, um, again, for how this has spoken to my heart. I've shared from the beginning. I know there's some new people in here. I don't know if you even know what Leviticus is. Uh, but if it sounds difficult, it kind of is. Uh, it's an Old Testament book that told the Old Testament Israelites how to sacrifice animals and do other things so that they could be in a right relationship with God. And we know that Christ dying on the cross was ultimately our perfect sacrifice that allows us to do all those things. So if you're new here, no, we don't kill animals in the back uh, when nobody's looking. And yet it's God's word. So how can we just ignore it and say, oh, that's not for us anymore? God's word is for all of his people all of the time. So I'll just, we'll be in Leviticus 5 if you want to turn there, but I'll just quickly remind you of what we've talked about so far in Leviticus 1. We learned about something called a burnt offering, uh, and it's the heart of the burnt offering was a heart of submission. It was the Israelite acknowledging that he was a sinner who had no right to come into the presence of a holy God, and because really it was just revolving around no specific sin, but just his state as a sinner, the entire sacrifice was burned on the altar. No one consumed any of it because a total sacrifice was necessary for a sinful human to have any type of relationship with a holy God. Uh, then chapter 2 told us about the grain offering. The only offering that didn't involve killing an animal. Uh, you would offer up some grain to God with, from a heart of dedication. It usually went together with the burnt offering. And as you acknowledge that, Lord, I do not deserve to be in your presence, thank you for allowing me to come into your presence, you would also give a grain offering saying, everything that I have, which I know I only have because you gave it to me, I dedicate it back to you. And because you were dedicating it to God, God would take his memorial portion, you might remember, just a little piece of it, because the rest of it all went to the priests. And that was God's way of saying, if you're going to dedicate things to me, you're going to dedicate them to my work, and you're going to dedicate them to my workers. And sadly, too many people today try to separate the two. They think that they can honor God and worship God, and the church plays no role in it. And that is not um, God's plan for us at all. Then in chapter 3, we studied the peace offering. You would think the heart of a peace offering would be peace, but peace was really just more the underlaying um, what allowed us to have a heart of gratitude. It was definitely all about having a heart of gratitude. Uh, we said that God got the fat, the, the best part of the animal, and then the priests got the shoulder and the breast to represent the strength and the heart of the animal. But then this was the only offering where then the people could eat the rest. Up until then, any other offering, the people, especially the offerer, got none of his offering. But in a peace offering, uh, the community communed in fellowship and eating with God. And then last week, we looked at the sin offering. The first three were all voluntary, not last week. And you might think that the heart of the sin offering was a, that you wanted forgiveness, and that was part of it. But really, the heart was purification. That you didn't just want to be forgiven of your sin, but that you wanted to become purer through it. You wanted to become closer to God through it. And once again, God got the fat. He got the best portion of the animal. But in some cases, the rest was burned outside the camp. God didn't even want it in the camp. He didn't even want it burned in the camp if it was sin that represented the priest's sin or the congregation's as a whole sin. But if it was just a leader or a common person then it was okay. Then the priest was able to eat of it because God didn't hold the priest accountable for individual sins. That spoke a lot to me as a leader. It is my job to keep a hand, um, to admit my sin and to be in charge of the sin of the congregation that I'm not preaching things up here that allow you to think that things are okay when they're really not. But what you do from there is on you. You either go home and, and let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart about what was spoken on in church or you don't. But that was the heart of a sin offering. So, was that a lot? Yes. Uh, especially if you've never been here before. But even if you've been here for all the other weeks, that's a lot. So, in a throwback to inReach, I have some notes sitting right here if you want to take them later. 
Uh, InReach used to be a Sunday school that I would teach, or even with the youth, you know I was big on notes, I was big on you filling them in, seeing if you uh, knew what I was looking for, but as a high school math teacher, I know you hand something out, no, you hand it out now, everybody gets distracted, and then all of a sudden you're not listening, so you can come get them later if you want, but that's just a little something, the answers are on the back, of course, you know, just in case, but, um, and those are not comprehensive, you want something comprehensive on uh, Leviticus, you go to Google. Right, that just kind of summarizes what we've discussed the last, really, six weeks that we've been in Leviticus. Okay, so today, we get to the last offering, and I'm going to tell you right now, it's called a guilt offering, okay? I have to tell you that because it's the hardest one to talk about, and commentators agree, because how do you separate sin, which was last week's offering, with guilt, which is this week's offering? Sin if you feel bad about it, should make you feel guilty. And why would you feel guilty if you hadn't sinned? So they really do go very much hand in hand, and I'm really even willing to say that guilt is a subset of the sin offering. As we study it, I think you'll agree with me, at least as much as I'm able to get out of it, that sin is just, uh, guilt is just a specific type of sin offering, and yet we've said from the beginning that if God only picked there to be five ways to make sacrifice for him, he said, you want to sacrifice something to me, you want to honor me, you want me to be happy with it, burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, guilt offering. God thought it was important enough for an offering to take the, the specific distinct role of being a guilt offering. So I'm going to try my best to explain that to you tonight. Uh, last week we were in chapter 4, but I did share with you that sin offering kind of bled into chapter 5. It, it, it's called a hinge passage, where some people think it's part of the sin offering, some people th part, think it's part of the guilt offering. I think they're both right. I don't know. So if you don't mind, you don't have to stand for this part, because this isn't the part we're going to focus on. But I'm going to read the first 13 verses of chapter 5. Okay? I'm going to show you how it does tie in with sin offering, but then hopefully show you how it introduces us into the guilt offering. So it will show up on the screen. We'll stand when we get to the passage that we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, but Leviticus 5, starting in verse 1, says, If anyone sins that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal, or a carcass of unclean livestock, or a carcass of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches a human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him when he comes to know it and he realizes his guilt in any of these, when he realizes his guilt in any of these and confesses the sin he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed, two turtle doves, or two pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but shall not sever it completely, and he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is a sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his offering for the sin that he has committed a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a sin offering. He shall put no oil on it, and shall put no frankincense on it, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of its memorial portion and burn this on the altar, on the Lord's food offerings, it is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any of these things, and he shall be forgiven, and the remainder shall be for the priest, as in the grain offering. 
Now, you heard me say sin offering a bunch of times, yes? I mean, obviously, <laughs> you can't argue that chapter 5 is a continuation of the sin offering of chapter 4. I would say it's a more specific subset of it, first of all, because it gives some examples. I don't know if you caught that. But in all of chapter 4, it's really about who sinned. If the priest sinned, this is what you do. If the congregation sinned, this is what you do. If a leader sins, this is what you do. If an individual sins, this is what you do. Nothing about the sin itself. Just who sinned? But here it starts right out. Okay, well, if you know something and you don't testify to it, you've sinned. You got to wonder, maybe they didn't see it that way. I'm not the one who committed the crime. I, you know, yeah, I witnessed it, but I, no, God says, I am a God of justice. And if you could play a hand in justice being served and you don't do it, then you've sinned. I don't know if that refers to anyone in here, but how many times is it? Well, I didn't do it. Well, maybe you didn't do it, but could you be, you might meet not be the problem, but if you could be part of the solution and you're choosing not to be, guess what? I don't think anything's changed since Leviticus 5.1. We serve a God of justice, and he wants justice to be served, and when his people can play a role in that, we should. I don't know what it's like to touch an unclean animal or unclean, I, I don't know. These are things that meant something to the Jews, but God says if you did it and you didn't realize you did it, remember if you are here last week, all about unintentional sin. Not just do it on purpose and then just hope you don't get in trouble. If you didn't realize, but then once you do realize it, you need to offer a sin offering. If you give a rash oath, we've been talking about this a lot lately. I'm not sure why. It seems to be popping up a lot. But you just make a promise or you say something because you want to get, oh, geez, now I got to keep it. Yeah. And if you realize you didn't, sin offering. So I have no problem saying all of these things are sin offerings. In verse 4, it even says, if you realize your guilt in any of these, it doesn't mean any of these, the examples I just gave. It means anything like this. If there's something where you say, oh my goodness, what have I done? You would offer a sin offering. We learned that last week. And I feel like all of these things fall under the category of individual. Remember, we have our four categories. I don't blame you. I've been studying this a while. But did you catch that they would offer up a female? You only offered up a female when it was an individual. All of the other categories offered up male. Did you catch that the priests were able to eat it? The priests weren't allowed to eat it if it was a priestly sin or a congregational sin. Only if it was... So all these things seem to just be priest, congregation, leader, individual, and then a bunch of thoughts. To get more specific, because guess what? Most of the people fell into that bottom category. That makes sense to me. Even the offering gets more specific. It used to just be, nope, it has to be a female from the flock. Now God says, well, if you can't give a female from the flock, give two turtle doves. One is a sin and one is a burnt. I don't have the time to talk too much about it, but that was God caring for the poor person. Because if the poor person could only offer a turtle dove as a sin offering, remember, everyone else would offer something, God would take what he wanted, and then the priests would get some. You can't do that with a dove. Not that I've ever tried to eat a dove. But you, you can't. You, you don't break it up and then say, okay, let's eat. And God didn't want them to feel like their sin offering was any less effective, any less serving its purpose. So God says, fine, offer two. One will be the sin offering and one will be the burnt offering. Now again, some of us, these words got to start meaning something to us. What's a burnt offering? Something goes completely to God. Fine, the priest wasn't going to eat the dove anyway, but it's okay. You offered something for the sin and something to me. Um, same with the flower. We said God is very much, he wants offerings from all his people. He expects offerings from all his people. So John, why didn't you just read this last week? Were you here last week? That was a long sermon to begin with. I wasn't going to add 13 more verses to it. But another reason, and I don't know if you caught it, but in all of chapter 4, the word guilt appears three times. In the first four verses, uh, sorry, six verses of chapter 5, it appears four times. Over and over and over. I don't know if you caught it. I'm not going to read it all over again. But it kept saying, and realizes his guilt, and realizes his guilt, and realizes his guilt. God is definitely getting them set up for something. And that something comes in the passage that we're going to be reading tonight. As we look at the last of the offerings, we, I, I, I believe I'm correct, we realize it is a sin offering. It's a form of a sin offering. Guilt is associated with sin. 
But remember, if God said, yeah, but this is a special case, it's on us to see why it's a special case. Why was it a special case 2,000 years ago? And why is it a special case today? As we strive to have the relationship with him that I hope we all want to have. All right, so I'm going to pray. Then we're going to read the passage for tonight. And I promise, I won't get you out of here too late. All right. Lord, I thank you. I, I really do. It seems like yesterday I was quite nervous about taking on Leviticus, and I know I'm no expert, but you have definitely spoken things to my heart that has made this book so much more real, so much more relatable. Lord, if any of that has blessed anyone in here, I'll, I'll thank you for that, but I, I just know what you've done in me, in my mind, in my heart, in my understanding of what you've always wanted from your children. Of course, I thank you that your son fulfilled all of this, Lord, that I don't have to kill any animals, but I know that you still want me to have an attitude of submission and dedication and gratitude and purification. And Lord, if, if I need to, you know, I struggled with tonight's Lord, continue to speak to my heart, speak to everyone in here, but we're at least going to learn what you have to say, and then we'll let your spirit speak to our hearts about uh, how we're going to apply it. But again, I thank you for getting us to this point. I thank you, Lord, with the expectation that we're just going to keep going, Lord, until you either take us home or we're just going to keep plugging along in your word, learning about it, growing in it. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so five offerings, but if you remember, seven chapters. By the end of tonight, we will have read the first seven chapters of Leviticus because the first five talk about the offerings and then six and seven talk about the priest's role in the offerings. So we've been bouncing back and forth. So either read the screen or listen to me now because we're going to start in chapter five, verse 14. That's where I dropped off. And we're going to go all the way to chapter six, verse seven, because that's where it ends. Then it becomes all about the priest's role, which means we have to jump to chapter seven to see the priest's role in the, in the guilt offering. So if you're the least bit lost, I promise I will hold your hand through it all. But if we can stand in honor of reading God's word, I am going to start reading in chapter 5, verse 14. I will go through to chapter 6, verse 7, and then I will read the first seven verses of chapter 7. Please do not let this overwhelm you. It is my job to make sure that the things you don't understand, I explain to the best of my ability, and thankfully the Holy Spirit as the one who's going to do it anyway. So here we go. Verse 14. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, If anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, for a guilt offering. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent, for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him with the, for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven." It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt, and will restore what he took by robbery, or what he got by oppression, or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely. He shall restore it in full, and shall add a fifth to it, and give it to him who, to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish, out of the flock, or its equivalent, for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one, that one may do, and thereby become guilty. Now, chapter 7, this is the priest's role in the guilt offering. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 7, this is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering, and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar. 
and all its fat shall be offered, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. You may be seated. I will admit, technically, verses 8 through 10 have not been read in this congregation. It reminds us that the priest gets to keep the skin of the burnt offering, which we've talked about. I just hadn't read that actual verse. And 9 and 10 talk about them allowing to keep the grain offering. So I just want to be consistent. We are going to leave no stone unturned here. Uh, But we're going to focus on the passage that we just read. Uh, And again, if you haven't been here before, my sermons have 10 points. (laughs) But the first seven are always the same, okay? There are seven things that through all five of the offerings, God said, yeah, this is how I wanted it. Every now and then it would change, but but just seven general ideas that if he's going to have five different offerings, but there's going to be so much overlap in them, aren't they worth our attention? So this won't take long, and I'm hoping some of you have been here all along or starting to pick up on some of things. Did the guilt offering have to be without blemish? Yes. Now, it was a ram, which is a male goat, a male sheep grown up. So I, I did, wasn't able to find any, any uh, significance to that. Maybe God will show me someday. But yes, without blemish. Now, you know what's so nice about tonight? There's no more. This is it. So we have now sat the last six weeks and noticed that every single offering that God said, if you want to give it to me for this, if you want to give it to me for this, you want to give, it better be without blemish. Might be a bull, might be a lamb, might be a ram, might be a, but it better be without blemish. Do you think that has changed in 2,000 years? No. It might not be, well, it definitely isn't an animal that we sacrifice anymore, but you don't just give God what you want, when you want, when it's convenient, then don't bother. All five offerings, God said, this better be without blemish or don't waste my time. Or were they told to bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting? Technically, no. That phrase doesn't appear, but they say bring it to the priest. And they say you're going to kill it in the same place that you're going to offer it in the same place you offered the burnt offering. So yes, again, five for five. God says, oh, you want to make an offering to me? You come to me. You don't do it where it's convenient for you, when it's convenient for you. You come to me on my terms. I love that we're doing this on a Sunday night because if I can speak in generalities, people who tend to come to church on Sunday night don't downplay the importance of being in church. But there's a lot of people who do. Oh, I've got my own relationship with God. I do this. I drive around. I li- Look, all I'm telling you is five for five. God said, no, 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 no. You come to me. You come to me and do it the way I want if you want me to be pleased. Is there personal responsibility? Yes, a very unique one. It's a very major talking point for me today, so I'll let that go for a second. But there's also a shared responsibility. Every stinking time God said, oh, you want to offer me a sacrifice? You better involve the priests. I don't want it if you're not involving it through the priests. Now, Sean, who's our high priest? Thank you for not saying Pastor Eric. Yes, I get it. I get it. Jesus is our high priest. I do get it. But I will gladly sit down and go toe-to-toe with you if you think that means, yeah, yeah, so we don't need. No. God wants his children interacting with each other. He wants this church being a part of your spiritual walk with him. He wants you coming to us and allowing us to do things like teach Leviticus to you. There is a shared responsibility here. As you want to honor and grow closer to God and serve him, I'm sorry. You want to try to do it on your own? Try to do it on your own. But don't tell me you got God's blessing. There is a shared, a personal responsibility and a shared responsibility. Is there a public display of blood? Did you catch it? Yeah, it's back to being splashed on the side of the altar. And I hate saying it that way because it sounds like I'm downplaying it so much. I'm not. But do you remember last week? Last week with the sin offering, my goodness, it was splashed on the veil of the sanctuary The one place where the priest would go once a year to go into the presence of God, he had to go through this blood-infested curtain. It was supposed to be uh, put on the horns of the altar to represent, I mean, there was was blood everywhere. For whatever reason, back to guilt offering, God says, you you put it on the side of the altar. I just want people to know, 
that your guilt, your forgiveness, your relationship with me is based on blood. If that sounds disgusting, then I don't know what to tell you. It's all about Christ's blood. We say Christ died for our sins. He did die for our sins, but God makes it clear. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So it's not just that Jesus came down to earth. Blood plays a major role in God's economy of what it takes for him to be satisfied, for his wrath to be satisfied. And I'm very thankful that I'm not relying on the blood of bulls and goats, as Hebrews tells us. Is sweet aroma mentioned? A lot of the offerings God said, and that'll be a sweet aroma to me. We all know what it's like when something smells good. It's not mentioned here, which I find really strange, because the more we study what a guilt offering is, I would think this, of all things, would give God a sweet aroma. But the only place it was mentioned in chapter 4 was verse 31, in relation to the individual. So I do think if this is a subset of the offering of an individual, that yes, I do believe that God considers the guilt offering a sweet aroma. And were there various acceptable offerings? Yes. Okay, it kept saying a ram or its equivalent. But that's not even my focus here. The offerings today are more various than anything. And if you didn't catch it yet, don't worry. That's my job. If your head is spinning, I'm sorry. But the point is, all those things are accounted for. All those things were important to, I keep saying 2,000, 4,000, however many thousand years ago. But they're important now. If you really want to have a relationship, I don't mean a, sal- a salvation one, that, but, but, but a, a day-to-day, growing, sanctified relationship with him, you should be offering him without blemish at where he wants it to be, with a personal and a shared responsibility. Again, there is no blood to publicly display. That's my life. Right now, standing up in front of you, talking about Leviticus, is my public display of blood. Because I wouldn't be doing it if Christ hadn't died for me and saved my soul. And I pray that my words are a sweet aroma to him. And I thank him that he not only accepts various offerings, but expects them. If you never leave that pew, God didn't call you to ever be any kind of teacher or preacher. He still expects you to make offerings to him. He expects you to do more than just take up space. So I'm going to stop because we do got to get moving. But those are the seven things we've talked about now for six weeks. Six weeks ago, I first introduced them. I hope that you allow them to speak to your heart. What are the three unique? Every week we've looked at seven shared characteristics and then seven unique ones. And the first one has always been the... Confession, thank you so much, DJ. I gave them at the beginning. The confession of a burnt offering was one of submission. The confession of the grain offering was one of dedication. The confession of peace offering was one of gratitude. The confession of a sin offering was one of purification. Well, the confession of a guilt offering is one of restitution. Now, that's kind of a fancy word. I don't know, especially with some of the younger people in here, if you know what restitution means. It just means to make things right. It means to restore. Okay, we read in verse 15 of chapter 5, it said, He shall also make restitution for what he has done. To my understanding, this is the big distinction between a general sin offering and a specific guilt offering. Is all sin wrong? Of course, or we wouldn't call it sin. Should all sin be repented of? Yes. Should you try to get better? Yes. But you just can't always place a value on sin. You can't always say, okay, I did this, so I'm going to do this to make up for it. But sometimes you can. That's what restitution means. Restitution is if you can do something to make up for what you did, you should. Now again, only God knows who he's speaking to each person. But in other words, sometimes it's not enough to say you're sorry. Got it? You borrow your friend's car and you crash it and you tell him you're sorry. Well, I'm sorry. You've got some damages to pay for. You understand? You borrow something from somebody and now all of a sudden you can't find it. And you're kind of hoping they forgot you borrowed it because if they ask for you, no, no. You let them know. I'm sorry. That's what restitution is. You understand? I'm going to say that that to me is the separator between sin and and guilt, they're both sin. But one's a sin that you can place a value on. And we see that in verse, uh, I guess 15. I said 15 before, I meant 16, but now it's 15. 
if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation a ram without blemish out of the flock, valued in silver shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for a guilt offering. Money has never been mentioned at any point here. Up until now, what was the value of the offering? Without blemish. And I'm sorry, but if Franz has a better flock than I do, then his idea of without blemish is better than my idea of without blemish. Up until now, every offering was just, listen, God just wants the best you can give him. And now he says, no, 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 no. There's times where there's an actual value that can be assigned. And if that value can be assigned, then it's not enough to say you're sorry. It's not enough to say, oh, I won't do it again. God expected restitution. He made sure that when there were times when you could quantify the value of the sin, he not just wanted them to pay it back, but they had to pay it back and then some. Look at what verse 16 says. He shall also make restitution for what he has done amiss in the holy thing and shall add a fifth to it and give it to the priest. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering, and he shall be forgiven. Now, I know some of you aren't so good at math because I'm related to you. But those of you who think that one-fifth is half of one-tenth, it's not. One-fifth is two-tenths. Do you understand? So when God says, give me my tithe, give me my one-tenth, that's what God asks for? In a guilt offering, he says, no, double it. Whatever It's 20%. Whatever the value was that you could restore, that restitution could be given for, I don't just want you to pay back what you owe, I want you to add 20% to it. God wanted his people to go over and above when that sin could be given a quantified value. So if the first point was the unique confession, I'm just going to jump right into my second one. This offering has a unique cost to it. Think for a second. Does every offering cost you something? Of course it does. It costs you a bull. It costs you a lamb. It costs you a goat. It costs you something. But all those other things, let's be honest, were never enough. We talked about this in community group. I don't think any of the Israelites were stupid enough to really think, man, I'm a sinner in the presence of a holy God, but it's okay, I have a bull. You know, I'll just kill a bull, we're good. Why was a bull enough to come into the presence of God? There's only one right answer. Yeah, because God said so. That's it. If God said, pat your head and rub your belly, then that's what you would have to do to make God happy. You understand? There was no such thing. Of, in every other offering, there was no, yeah, but I, I did enough. I did enough. This is the only one where there's actually a value. And in this case, God says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want you giving enough. I want you giving more than enough. I want you going over and above whatever value has been assigned that you owe. And I know that sounds punitive. I know that sounds like it's a penalty. I'm just going to quickly say it because I think God puts these things in my life. I'm in my school office and I'm listening to one secretary tell another secretary how her, how her daughter, how her son's ex-girlfriend, and she says, thank God she's an ex, you know, they're, they're talking back and forth, blah, 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 blah. The city of New York has taken her to court because she owes $12,000 in easy pass fines. And you know me. I'm going through my mind. She said, it's been about five years. I'm doing the math. I'm like, how in the world? And then she says, and the saddest part is it was really only $3,000 in fines. But she just kept not paying it and kept not paying it and kept not paying it. That's what punitive means. Got it? If you didn't know that, it means, listen, you really only owe me this much, but because of what you did, now you got to pay this much. That's not what God was doing here. Please know that. I know it's not what God was doing because this was almost always a guilt offering, a very private offering, one that probably people didn't even know about, one that came from the conscience, one that came from the conviction. And I love what the one commentary said. The reason God added that 20% on was not only to help the victim to get back what they lost plus some, but also to help the offender. Think about that for a second. Just, just please. Uh, I guess maybe some of you are too young. I hope not. Think about the difference between feeling bad about something and feeling bad about something. When you really know what you did was wrong and you really wish there was a way you could make it up, all of a sudden, 
Just evening the score doesn't feel like enough. You want to do more. You, you, you're upset with what happened. It's, it's like Zacchaeus. Do you remember Zacchaeus? Now Zacchaeus, forget 20%. He went 400%. But Zacchaeus just felt so guilty about the way he'd been robbing all of the people. He said, listen, I'll give you back everything I robbed plus four times. Four times. I... Why? Because he thought he had to do that for God's? No. No, because it just he would have felt better. It would have relieved the guilt to go over and above. And I think that's so beautiful that God did that for his people. It's so easy to read that 20% and say, wow, God must have been really mad. No. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. If, if I rob Darlene, God could have Darlene win the lottery tomorrow and she doesn't even play. And somehow she wins. Our God is that great. But God says, no, no, but John, I know how guilty you feel about it. I know how much you're eating yourself up about it. So you know something? Don't just give Darlene back what you owe her. Give her an extra 20%. And in giving that extra 20%, it's so, it might seem so hard as you're doing it, but I think we've all been there. It's so relieving. It's such a burden off you. You feel so much better when it's not weighing you down anymore. I just think that's such a beautiful thought. Again, just we always have to be open to what God's really doing. If he did want it to be punitive, I don't blame him. If God said, I can't believe you did that, you better give them 20% more. He said, I know how you feel. I know how beat up you feel. You know something? Give them 20% more. And in my economy, in my, in my opinion, we're good. How relieving that must have been for the people. Um, so there's actually three places that God talks about a, a guilt offering. Two of them at the end of chapter 5. Um, in verse 15, it says, if anyone commits a breach of faith and sins unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord. These were things that could be quantified. This is if you really didn't give something without blemish, but nobody else knew. How were they supposed to know if you had one better bull, but you knew? You knew there was something better you could have given. Or you know there was some more grain you could have given to the priests. Or you know, you just deep down you know that was the holy things of the Lord. That was something that could be quantified, and that's the passage we read about the extra 20%. But then in verse 17 it says, If anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity, he shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. You know what's so sad? This is me trying to go slow. It really is. I'm sure your heads are spinning and I'm so sorry. I'm actually trying to go slow. But there were the holy things and the holy commandments. The holy things, you were expected to give an extra 20%. The holy commandments, that's never mentioned. From what I read, it's because it's not the Ten Commandments. It's the commandments of the offerings. And the best example I was given was our tax code. You know? Everybody knows I'm good at math. I have somebody do my taxes. I don't care. I'm just scared to death. There's just so many things out there that I could try my best and miss 1.a.4.p. Oh my goodness. Those were the holy commandments. They weren't really things that you could quantify. They were not holding the horns of the altar as you prayed, which might not seem like the biggest deal, except God told you to do it. You know, it was, it was things like that that maybe you couldn't quantify, but you still felt guilty for. God had... God had a provision for that, and it does fall under guilt offering. It just doesn't fall under restitution. I can't just preach the parts that go with my sermon. i, I got to share all of it. So understand, I, I know that there's a level of guilt that does come when you can't have restitution. God knows that as well. But the general theme of guilt is restitution. In the holy things of the Lord, as well as in chapter 6, which is what's going to wrap us up for the evening. Chapter 6 says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or if he has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely, in any of all the things that people do and sin thereby, if he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery or what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him, or the lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it. 
and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day that he realizes his guilt. And he shall bring to the priest as his compensation to the Lord a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord and he shall be forgiven for any of the things that one may do and thereby become guilty. I know we read that passage twice, but I'm not sure the first time through you knew what to look for. I hope now you see it. If anyone sins and commits a breach of faith by deceiving his neighbor in a matter of deposit or security or robbery or something lost and lied about it, um, what he took by robbery, by oppression, the deposit, the lost thing he found, it's all, it's all something you can give a value to. And that's why the end of verse 5 says, he shall restore it in full and add a fifth to it. So I don't know, maybe it's not as easy a question as I think, but... How is chapter 6 different from chapter 5? How is chapter 6 different from every offering we've studied so far? It's this way. Every offering we've studied has been this way. The burn offering, Lord, I submit before you. The grain offering, Lord, I dedicate my, myself and my possessions to you. The peace offering, Lord, my gratitude for you. The sin for you. This part? God says, oh yeah, but what about this? What about about the people you ripped off? Yeah, that's a sin before me, but isn't it also a sin? See, chapter 5 was the sin of the holy things in the temple itself. Still the things related to God, and now God opens it up and says, yeah, but what about among each other? So if you've been here all the weeks, you probably think, you should, I hope, think that my third C is consumption. It's always been consumption. It can't be consumption today because the consumption of the guilt offering is the same as the consumption of the sin offering. Okay, the priest can eat of it because it was done by an individual. My third C, my third unique point of the guilt offering is it is a unique challenge. If I were to ask you, is it easier to make restitution with God or restitution with other people? The answer should be other people. How dare we say, oh God, oh it's easy with God. Oh with God, all you have to do is... What? Except yeah, you better believe it. It is easy with God. You know why? Because God makes it easy. Because God does say, yeah, I just want you to believe. I just want your faith. I just want your obedience. Now it's not easy to live out. But God so badly wants fellowship with us. He so badly wants... That's what he created us for. That he's always waiting with open arms saying, Hey kid, just repent. Just offer to me. Give me your best. Come to the... Just, just come. He wants it. Other people, not so much. <laughs> Other people are... You know, how many times do we hear the phrase, It would be so easy to be a Christian if there's no one else around me. Right? It, it gets difficult. It gets difficult because sometimes the people around us don't want it. If we're honest, sometimes it's difficult because we don't want it. Isn't it so much easier to say why we don't owe that somebody something? Why, if you knew what they did, then you'd understand why? And and the yeah buts? Yeah, I know I did that, but... Yeah, but if you knew what he... we, We make excuse after excuse, and God's up in heaven saying, Can't you just be honest? You tell me you're sorry, but then you still... You don't, you don't straighten it out with the person around you. Isn't that what we just read um, when Pastor was in 1 John, right? 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Now, I know that's not restricted to making restitution, but you better believe it falls under that umbrella. Lord, I do want to honor you, and yeah, you're probably right. I probably should give Sean that thing, but, but it's not fair because he did this, 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 this. God doesn't want to hear it. You want to say you love God and you want to live a life that loves God? Then you have to be good with the people around you. Again, that's not only restricted to restitution, but it is the purpose of a guilt offering. The purpose of a guilt offering wasn't just to offer something to God. Remember I said it was a unique cost. It's very unique. It's give God his ram and then don't give the priests. No, now go find the person that you wronged. Make it up to them and make it up to them over and above what was necessary, relieve that guilt from you. Uh, What does Matthew 5 tell us? If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your guilt there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer 
your gift. That won't always be restitution, but that's where restitution fits. You come before God, you come to church every Sunday, you put money in the offering plate, you think you and God are good, and back in your mind you know that there's something you should be straightening out with someone. You know that there's a debt that you should be paying. You know, again, I'm not going to try to fill in the blanks because that's, that's God's job. I don't know, what's there, 30 people in here? There's 30 hearts in here who are either saying, I don't think I owe anyone anything. Good, amen, at least you're thinking about it. Versus the, oh, I knew I shouldn't have come tonight. All right, Lord, you're talking about that, aren't you? I don't know. But we can't say that we have a relation or even desire to have a relationship with him. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two are, you can't, you can't separate them. And that is the unique part of the guilt offering. For the first time, we see God saying, and there's going to be times where you can't just make it right with me. You want to make it right with me? You've got to make it right with those around you. Uh, last verse, Romans, well, not really, but Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I never really thought of that from a restitution point of view, but guess what? If God's speaking to your heart, and I, I wasn't planning on saying this, was make sure it's God. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty good at guilting myself into things that God's like, no, that wasn't me. But if God's laying it on your heart, if there's something that you know you need to get straight, whether it's financial or not, I mean, that, that, that was the, but God isn't restrained to those kind of just anything. If you want to be good with God, we got to be good with those around us. And to be good with those around us, we have to be willing to make restitution, to make right. Um, that's pretty much what I have. I just wanted to read the last couple verses of chapter 7 so that I can officially pass the torch to pastor for chapter 8. Listen to verses 37 and 38 of chapter 7. God says, this is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the ordination offering, and the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. It, it's the period at the end of a seven-chapter section. That's where we are now. So again, that's why I made those notes. They're not comprehensive notes. They're just, uh, I'll just tell you, the questions are, what are the five offerings? If you can't rattle them off, I hope it's because you haven't been here every week. And then it's, okay, well, what do they have in common? Okay, well, what are their confessions? I'm going to say it one more time. It, nothing changed in the last 4,000 years. God still wants us to have a heart of submission. He still wants us to have a heart of dedication. He still wants us to have a heart of gratitude. He still wants us to have a heart of purification. And he wants us to have a heart that's willing to make restitution when necessary. It asks what the seven common categories are. That's all. Just things from, again, I don't want to make it sound like it's some great, it's just the teacher in me wanting to see, wanting to put a nice bow on uh, the last six weeks and the last seven chapters that God has gotten us through. So I thank you all. I hope you were blessed. I know I was, and I look forward to seeing how God uses it. Lord, I thank you. Uh, outside of taking me home early, I knew this moment was going to come. I knew you were going to give me what I needed to to get through this. Now I know that you will speak to my heart as the other elders come up here and, and share what you're speaking to them. Oh, Lord, but I'm sorry for how long I did uh, allow these offerings to act like something that were obsolete, something that were in the past, something that didn't have to speak to my heart now. That was my loss. And I thank you for the truths that you've shown me. Lord, as Pastor said this morning, our time here on earth is such a small part of our eternity and I know for eternity I'm not going to need to be reminded of these things, but for this small time I do. So Lord, allow me to, now that I'm done preaching it, allow me to keep living it, to keep striving to have that heart of submission and dedication and gratitude and purification and restitution. That really, not just you wanted the Israelites to give, but that you allowed them to. Lord, if you didn't accept those offerings, it wouldn't have mattered what they wanted to do. You had to say, okay, I accept it. And I thank you that because of your son's sacrifice and his gift, Lord, that you do accept our offerings when they come from a sincere heart. And I just thank you for every person in this room, Lord, that you allow me to be on this journey with as we strive to grow together and to conform more to the image of your son. Again, thank you for all those mothers out there. Thank you for 
the blessings, Lord, uh, I understand you know, to some it's a hard day, but for me it's certainly a blessed one, and I thank you for it, and pray your blessing on the rest of the day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I would ask if you'd stand, grab your hymnals. We're going to sing 596, I Surrender All. Um, we'll do one, two, and four. All right? 596, I Surrender All. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender, humbly at His feet I bow, Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Verse 4. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with thy love and power, let thy blessing fall on me. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Amen. God be with you.